I have the privilege of uh, introducing Reverend Dr. Carl Ellis. So um, Carl's a friend of Redeemer. Many of you know him from, uh, man, he's been a friend of Redeemer since Redeemer has been in existence. I'm in, a, I'm in a Bible study with a group of men, and we're reading his book, Free at Last, right oh, now. Oh, wow, terrific. All and right. it feels like it was written yesterday. Yeah. It, it is timely and good. Mm. So uh, thank you, brother. I will read his bio. In 1969, Carl Ellis began his ministry as a senior campus minister with Tom Skinner Associates in New York. Today, he serves as the academic dean of the Makazi Institute adjunct faculty at RTS and Biblical Seminary in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. Carl's work in Alabama and Tennessee, including serving as the interim pastor at New City Fellowship, pastor of Friendship Community Church, and director of student development at Oxford Graduate School. Carl has written several books and articles, has spoken and lectured throughout the U.S. and many parts of the world. Carl also studied under Francis Schaefer at Labrie and Hermaz. Oh, where am I at? Waymo. Waymo. All right, that's it. Waymo, right. sewer alone. All right, that's what he just said. <laughs> <laughs> and received his bachelor's in economics from Hampton, which is where oh. my wife's little sister is All graduating right. All right. in Man. a few weeks. Woo woo. His Master of Arts in Religion from Westminster Theological Seminary and his Doctorate of Philosophy, the Sociological Integration of Religion and Society from Oxford Graduate School. Carl is married to the wonderful and intelligent and oh, yeah. former Karen Angela Bishop and has a privilege and pleasure of teaming up with her in national and international ministry. Amen. We welcome a brother and Amen. a friend Amen. and a father in the faith Amen. and a mentor, Carl Amen. Ellis. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. Oh, okay. Amen. It's good to be back at uh, Redeemer. Yeah, I've, I've I kind of kept up with Redeemer over the years. I remember, um, oh, a lot of things happened. Uh, got a letter from a young man and down in, uh, where was he? I think he was somewhere. I don't remember exactly where he was from, but but uh, he wrote me a letter and asked me, should he come to the PCA? And I thought, well, yeah, maybe so. We're, we're doing some pretty good stuff here. And, uh, <laughs> and he turns out to be your, your founding pastor. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Albert. Uh, I've always admired his work and all that. And uh, I want to really plug uh, Karen's uh, workshop tomorrow. You'll see some things that will be very enlightening. Tonight, I kind of want to look at a passage that challenges my life a lot, and uh, I hope it'll challenge yours. It comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Luke 1, oh, well, I'm sorry, Luke 5, rather, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him, and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. <clears throat> but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners on the, in the other boats to come and help them. And when they had filled both boats, they, they had filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were so were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed Jesus. A deeper call. A deeper call. Most of us come to missions conferences to learn about what's going on overseas, and that's a good thing. To learn about what's going on ac across the tracks, and that's a good thing. Uh, missionaries come to you, ask for your prayers and support. That's a good thing. But I want you to think of another reason why you should come to a missions conference. And that is to expose yourself, thank you, to God's deeper call. You know, Jesus was the kind of a preacher who was destined for the big times. It was obvious, you know. At the age of 12, he confounded the doctors of the law, uh, but he waited until he was 30 to begin his ministry. He could have hobnobbed with the high and mighty, but he didn't. He chose to minister to regular folks like us. Now here we are at the, at the lake side, and, and Jesus probably saw Peter and Andrew fishing while they were out far out into the lake. And he waited until they came ashore and began washing their nets before beginning his preaching. The wonderful thing about this passage is it tells us, it implies, and I think it's pretty clear, that Jesus had plans not only for Peter's boat, but for Peter himself. Peter was already following Jesus, but Jesus was calling him to a deeper walk. And I think that's the challenge that we all have to face today. I don't know if you really realize where missionaries come from. They come from conferences just like this. <laughs> so be alert. When Jesus speaks to you, you better listen. All right. Peter would listen to Jesus in his preaching, and Jesus would accompany Peter in his fishing. Peter saw Jesus as the expert on preaching, but he saw himself as the expert on fishing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in this passage, 
we will see that Peter would have a rude but delightful awakening about Jesus' expertise. I remember I, I saw uh, one of the first movies made about Jackie Robinson, and he had just been asked to, recruited to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he called his mother and said, Mom, what should I do? She said, you need to pray to Almighty God because he knows more about baseball than anybody else. <laughs> well, let's go on a fishing expedition here. Uh, it was not unusual for fishermen to throw their net down several times before a successful throw. So you, you know, you've seen people throw their nets out, and then they bring them in, and then they throw them out again. They bring them in, and it would go on and on and on many times. But one successful throw would make up for many unsuccessful ones. I should tell you something about ministry. You know? Uh, <laughs> it can happen like that. You're minding your own business. You're doing what God tells you to do, and nothing seems to happen. And all of a sudden, boom, it happens. And you can't attribute it to anything that you've done. It's only by God's grace. But these guys had not caught anything all night. And you know, if you know anything about fishing in the, in the region, nighttime is the right time <laughs> but, to catch a fish. But these fishermen, these fishermen, think about it, they were well experienced. They had extensive knowledge about where the fish populations were and the habits of the fish in the lake. They knew all this stuff. They had, they had this stuff together. But they had nothing to show for all of their expertise and for all of their efforts. They had done exhaustive demographic studies of the fish. But they realized no net result. <laughs> they targeted prime networkly mobile fish. But the mobility of the fish was not in their direction. <laughs> and as a result, they were exhausted and discouraged. They had all this knowledge about fishing. I mean, for years. But they had nothing to show for it. Now here's something that they needed to know and we need to know. There was no exhaustion or discouragement that Jesus is not aware of. Don't ever feel that Jesus has abandoned you when things don't seem to work the way you want them to work. I've been through things in ministry. I've told God, why did you make me do that? It was just a waste of time. Only to find out later, I was really being blessed. Because it wasn't what I was doing that was so important to God, but it was who I was. And he used those things to shape me. We should never give up on what God calls us to do because we do not see success in this world's definition. Um, I was at uh, RTS uh, in Orlando the other day, the competition. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was pre preaching from, what was the passage I was preaching from? It was in Galatians. And uh, I, I was making a contrast between the economy of fallen nature and the economy of covenant grace. 
And there are so many of us, when we do ministry, we are depending upon the functioning of the economy of fallen nature. But that's not the economy God works from. Now, prosperity preachers preach that stuff. That's just a bunch of poppycock. But what God goes by is the economy of covenant grace. You think about a man like Job. According to the economy of fallen nature, you'd say he was a failure. He was surrounded by all those insensitive, thinking they were sensitive, Christian brothers who were poisoning him with all kinds of stupid theology. Oh, there must be some sin in your life. Have you ever heard that one? When I go through some things, people say, there's some sin in your life. I say, yeah. <laughs> but see, that's not why I'm going through this. You see, Jesus died for my sin. He took the punishment. So I'm not being punished by God for my sin. There's some other reason that's going on. But the thing that I had to realize is that God redeems everything. And that's what we all have to realize. And so they, uh, you know, we should remember that things do not operate according to the economy of fallen nature, according to this world's definition. We should never give up on God because uh, what, what sometimes God calls us to do something that where we don't even see potential success in this world's definition, according to the economy of fallen nature. Here's the point. If Jesus says, let down your nets, then do it. We should do what he says, because he knows better. I suspect that Jesus knew bit more about fishing than these guys did. After all, he created them. <laughs> but Peter, from his point of view, was a fisherman, not Jesus. Peter came from a family of fishermen, not Jesus. Yet Jesus told Peter to lower his net again, and Peter did so in spite of his reservations. He says in the passage, if you say so, Lord, I'll do it. Now, use your imagination. What if you're in that situation? Jesus is telling you something that you know is not going to work. What would you think? Okay, Jesus, uh, if this net comes up empty, <laughs> it's on you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But see, here's the point. In spite of all those misgivings and all those doubts, he did what Jesus told him to do. That's the point. He did it because Jesus said so. If Jesus, if, if Peter yielded to Jesus' authority over fishing, over his fishing, then, then what is our excuse for not yielding to Jesus' authority over our calling now? I think we're all here just about because Jesus has called us to something. But what you may not realize is that the calling that you are operating on now may not be the ultimate calling that he's, that he's bringing you to. He's bringing you to a deeper call, a deeper call. Some of you might end up in Osaka. You don't know it yet. 
Some of y'all might end up in Thailand. Some of y'all might end up in Pascagoula. <laughs> and some of y'all are going to end up in West Jackson. Who knows? You know. I mean, but Jesus is calling us to a deeper call. Don't let this missions conference be a spectator sport. That's what I'm saying. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Because, you know, he knew before the foundation of the world that every one of y'all are going to be here anyway. Right? So listen to him. It may sound crazy, but listen to his voice. Well, today we call Jesus Lord and King, don't we? Today we are theologically sophisticated. And yet we often question Jesus when he calls us to do something that is counterintuitive. Because our intuition is shaped by the success by this world's definition, the economy of fallen nature. Peter didn't know all that much about Jesus then. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't, well, you can get by without the New Testament, but you can't get by without the Westminster Confession of Faith. <laughs> okay, you know, you know, uh, Adam and Eve had the Westminster Confession, and they, they, they asked God to give the scripture to kind of fill in the blanks, right? <laughs> so he didn't know all about Jesus, uh, too much about him. You know, looking at Peter, he kind of he reminds me of a certain politician in Washington who speaks in all caps. It's fantastic, it's stupendous. Okay. Peter was kind of like that, you know? <laughs> I think that's the best illustration I can come up with. <laughs> but when the net was let down at Jesus' com command, the catch was overwhelming. Jesus know what he's, knows what he's talking about. You may be an expert in your profession, but Jesus knows more than you. And he knows how you best fit. Oh, he might have called you to your profession, and that's good. That's, that's, that's a call. But always be open for Jesus to give you a deeper call. I struggle with this right, right now. Karen and I are struggling this, with this right now. We're trying to figure out where does God want us to go? What does he want us to do? There are some things that I've learned the hard way before I used to say, God, I will never do that, or I will never live there. And every time I've said that, I ended up doing that and living there. So I said, God, if it be your will. <laughs> but, you know, it may not be something that I would really like to do from my point of view right now, but I know the, joy, the, the, the greatest joy comes when I know I'm doing what he wants me to do. So the catch is overwhelming and the boats are overloaded. With all their experience, they had never seen such a record catch. Their nets broke, but they did not lose their catch. And in a way, when you think about it, Jesus was compensating Peter for the use of his boat. That's pretty good economics, isn't it? 
question we have to ask ourselves today is, when are we going to learn that Jesus' blessings are never cheap? God is not stingy. He gives us blessings that are sloppy. Think about it. How does the Bible describe it? Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. Now, sometimes we have a problem believing that God is blessing us because we don't have eyes to see it. Maybe we need to ask him for a new vision, a vision of faith instead of a vision of eyes. When are we going to learn that Jesus himself is a greater blessing than his blessings? Remember, uh, what was the man's name? Obed, Obed, even, even, you know, Edom, Obed, Edom. Remember him in the Old Testament? Remember, he was, uh, when, when the Israelites were bringing the ark back from the Philistines, remember that? It was on a cart, and the cart slipped, and these guys reached out to steady it, and they got incinerated, remember that? And uh, the Israelites said, okay, let, let's leave the ark here for right now. Uh, Obed, can you put this in one of your spare rooms? He said, well, okay. You know, he just seen a couple of guys get, get incinerated, right? But he did. And for the next few months, everything he did prospered. I mean, everything. I mean, he just, oh, every, just overflowing. I mean, by the time they came to get the ark, this guy had really, really become wealthy. And when they took the ark to Jerusalem, guess what Obed even did? He left all that stuff that God gave him to be close to the ark. Because he recognized that God himself was a better blessing than the blessings that God gave. We should learn from this that we should never, ever be afraid that Jesus won't bless what he commands us to do. There was no way that you could ever explain this record catch without recognizing that Jesus is the Lord over the waves of the sea over the wealth of the world, over the souls of men and women, and over our professor, professional lives and careers. You know, why does God have you where you are? You think it's just to make a living? Well, that's a good thing, by the way. But God has you where you are so that you might be a witness, that you might be a discipler. That's why God has you where you are. When we read about these missionaries, it should, it should not come as a surprise to us. It shouldn't seem strange to us. We should be missionaries wherever we are and wherever God calls us. Jesus confirmed that night everything he taught in the boat. And he gave Peter a preview on the effectiveness of his apostolic ministry. So what was Peter's reaction? He realizes who Jesus is again. He gets another insight into who Jesus is. And what's his reaction? He says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He knows what his inner thoughts were. He didn't really believe that Jesus was who he is until he got this epiphany moment. 
And as soon as he discovered God's presence, he was struck with fear. This is to be expected. It's a common reaction. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated in his throne, on his throne, high and exhausted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, and each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with the other two they were flying, and they were calling in one, to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the earth is full of the glory of God. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah is noticing this, and what is his reaction? Woe is me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He knows he's a goner. But look, notice what God does. Then one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and atoned for. We cannot help to be miserable when God seems absent. And that's why we call on him. But God's holy presence, we realize what sinners we are. And the fear of the Lord, the Bible tells us, is the beginning of wisdom. And to forsake evil is the beginning of understanding. The more we appreciate the majesty of God, the less self-confident we are in the presence of God. The more we understand that Jesus calls us to be closer to him, the more we understand that, the more we should realize how far away we are from him. So let's look at the deeper call of Jesus. Peter is a good fisherman. He knows his business. He must be doing all right by it. He feels that he's doing what God wanted him to do, and he was. But Jesus gives him a deeper call. And he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus was telling him basically this, that this is nothing compared to what you are going to do with me. What you've been doing all these years, Peter, is an audiovisual aid to your deeper call. And that applies to us, too. What we've done in our lives up to this point is an audiovisual aid to what God wants to do with us. He's saying, Peter, the best is yet to come. You ain't seen nothing yet. This was not just a call to be a disciple, but this was a deeper call to be an apostle. This was not a general call to faith, but this was a deeper call to service. Some of us here have answered the, the general call to faith, but God is calling us to a deeper call of service. For some of us, the deeper call will change our lives radically. And for others, it will change 
very little. But it doesn't make any difference. Because what God calls us to do, he's able to do through us. The first type of calling, <clears throat> the calling that changes our lives a little, is easier and safe. Oh yeah, it's predictable. But this kind of call that will radical, radically change your life is harder, but it is adventurous. And I don't know about you, but I was talking to somebody the other day, and he was asking me about when do I want to retire. I said, I want to be like Caleb. Remember Caleb? He was 40 years old when he first got to the promised land. He was raring to go. And, of course, the session met. And the session gave, came up with a negative report. Remember that? They said, we're going back to Egypt. We're going to come and plead with the Egyptians. And God said, oh, yeah. I remember that. Uh, I translated that. That's one of the first, first passages I translated from Hebrew. And uh, Caleb stands up and says, he says, we can take them. And the Hebrew, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but the Hebrew says literally, for they, talk about the Canaanites, for they are bread for us to eat. And I said, huh, I said, that sounds familiar, you know? And then I realized what he was really saying. He says, yeah, we can take them. It's a piece of cake. Okay. Because <laughs> Caleb understood what was going on. He knew that God was greater. You see, here was the problem. Here was the problem. The children of Israel had been oppressed in Egypt for so long that they started believing in their own inferiority. That's why they disrespected Moses. They knew Moses was Hebrew. They disrespected him. If Moses was Egyptian, they would have said, yes, sir. You know, no, no. <laughs> That's why they were quick to, to, to make this golden calf, because they wanted to cop and plead with the, with the Egyptians. They, they said, God, any God who identifies with us has got to be inferior, because we're inferior. It took a whole generation to get that mess out of them. But Caleb was a different kind of man. He understood the deeper call. So, in conclusion, when they brought the fish ashore, guess what they did not do? What did they not do? They did not take the fish to market. They missed their chance to be in Guinness Books of Records. They could have started a fish-catching consultation firm and made a killing. Yeah, here are, here are the secrets to a successful catch. Listen to my wisdom. And of course, they knew it wasn't their wisdom. They didn't do that. What does the Bible tell us? They left everything to follow Jesus. Sounds like Obed-Edom, doesn't it? Here God gave this blessing. He says, forget about the blessing, I want God. Now the question we have to ask is, was this a great sacrifice? Well, if we focus on the record catch, yeah, it was a great sacrifice. But if we focus on the glory of God, no, it wasn't a great sacrifice. What if somebody asks you, you only have a dollar left 
to your name. They say, if you sacrifice this dollar to, by giving it to me, I'll give you a Lexus LS 400, brand new. Would that be a sacrifice? I don't think so. Now, for me, you see, for me, the thing that could really mess me up is if you offer me a Tesla. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's another thing, you know. <laughs> but as you contemplate the deeper call of Jesus, then you have to ask yourself, where is your focus? Is it on the blessing of God or is it on God himself? What is Jesus asking you to sacrifice to answer his deeper call? Does it seem like a great sacrifice or a small one? It depends on how you look at it. These guys, these fishermen, it was nothing. They left that, they said, hey, I got something much better than this. Are we willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus' deeper call today? Now let's go ahead a couple of years. And when Peter saw 3,000 people respond to his preaching, I wonder if he remembered what Jesus said to him that day of the record catch. I wonder if Jesus kind of said, hey, Pete, remember? I bet he never regretted leaving the record catch. Although, when he left all that stuff, people said, Peter, you are crazy, man. Come on, you crazy. You know, it's easy to forsake poverty for Jesus. Oh, I'd forsake that any day. <laughs> but can we, can we forsake prosperity and success? What deeper call is Jesus calling you to today? And I guess the other question is, if you know that deeper call, what's holding you back? Because we all have those things to hold us back. Well, some of y'all might say, well, I'm too much of a sinner. Yeah, okay, well, what else is new? God saved you and you were messed up. Jesus can fix that, though. He can fix that with his amazing grace. Some might say, well, I, I can't afford it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have the financial backing well, Jesus can fix that too with his promise to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Not according to who, uh, Bill Gates' riches and glory. That's nothing compared to the riches and glory of Jesus. Well, if it's success and prosperity in this world's definition, then Jesus can fix that too. He can fix that too but taking it away from us. Remember Job? Remember him. He had it made in the shade. He was really doing well. He did everything right. Oh man, the prosperity guys would just use him as an example. And all of a sudden, nothing. What's Jesus telling us tonight? Remember the deeper call. Don't ever think that where you are is where you are ultimately going to be with God. Because he's always calling you to a deeper call. If you look at how he handled his disciples, he was always challenging them to greater repentance, faith, and obedience. If you be my disciple, no, first they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, what's up, man? 
He said, well, come and see. You know, where do you live? Well, come and see. And he did something really neat at first. He made some wine, you know. People said, oh, this, this is going to be good. You know? <laughs> and then he, he overturned some money changes in the temple. They said, oh, wait, wait a minute. This, this is a little deep here. And, uh, and then the next thing, you know, he says, hey, you know, if you be my disciples, you got to hate your mother and father and all that. Ooh, whoa, that's deep. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Ooh, ooh. He lost 4,988 disciples on that day when he said that one, right? But he, what did he do? He kept upping the ante, upping the ante, upping the ante. And that's the way God does with us. He stretches our faith. He ups, ups the ante. He says, okay, do this. And you do it. You say, hey, I'm pretty good. Then you stretch your face some more. And eventually you come to the point where you say, I, I can't do it, God. Help my unbelief. And he comes and helps your unbelief. It's always a deeper call. No matter what you're doing, it's always a deeper call that God is calling you to. And for some of you, I hope you will, 20 years from now, look back on this missions conference and recognize that God called you to a deeper call to serve him somewhere on, on this earth. I don't believe that you have to go overseas to be a missionary. All you gotta do is go out of your front door. It's a funny thing, America, everybody's coming to us. You know, look at that, isn't that interesting? So let's think about that, the deeper call. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus says. And then all these other things, your needs and all the rest of that, will come to you as well. I know that as a fact. I know that as a fact. That's not just some theory. I know that as a fact. And what God says is a solid, no, it's more solid than a rock. What he says is, because his word, remember, brought this whole universe into existence. When he makes a promise to you, it's solid. I'll end, I'll end you with this thought. The book of Hebrews says that God made a whole lot of promises to, to a bunch of people, and they died before the promise came true. They didn't receive what was promised. So you say, what about that? They didn't receive what was promised. That's good news. That's good news. Because if you die... Before God fulfills a promise, because God never fails to fulfill a promise, he is obligated to resurrect you to give you the promise. So if you die without a, with, a, with an unfilled promise, then you know, hey, I know I'm, I'm coming back. Okay, so his promises are even stronger than life itself. What do you have to fear? The deeper call God is calling us to today. Don't let this conference be just a spectator sport. Listen to the voice of Jesus. And only then will you find fulfillment. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word that it challenges us. Thank you for the fact that you are faithful. Above all things, you are faithful. Give us the grace to answer your call, your deeper call, because we just don't have the ability to do so. But we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.